morning. It is good to see you guys today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or in the warehouse, the chapel, or on the internet, podcast, wherever you might be. We're glad that you're along also. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you are on the city? Are you on the city? All right, good. In the campuses, are you on the city? The city is our social networking site that's going to do a lot more than that here in our church. And there, there are um, right at 4,000 of us who are on the city right now, and I want, I want to double that in the next couple of weeks. I want everybody on the city. What is the city? It's kind of like Facebook without Farmville. Amen. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's, it is great. It's awesome. In fact, why don't we just look at it? Uh, I'm going to be preaching from an iPad. Not not because it's cool, but because I'm cool, okay? And uh, actually, I've been waiting for something like this for a long time. Uh, hopefully, it will help me to to, uh, to do what I do a little bit better. But uh, since I have an iPad, let's, I'm just going to look at the city right now. Let's just go to the city and see what is going on because we can, uh, because we got to figure out how. Okay, uh, here we go, here we go. All right, here is the Irmo page. Can, can we get that up there? Is that the Irmo page? We got it up. This is what's happening at the Irmo campus, you guys. Let's see what cool is going on there. Men's poker night. <laughs> you you got to be kidding me, huh? Um, what about women's fiesta bunco night? Let's go to the next campus, okay? All right. James Island campus. Yay, Joey Spencer. What a cool picture he has. And by the way, James Island campus had the highest adoption rate of the city of any of our campuses and Joey won a uh, free dinner for he and his wife at McDonald's this week as a result of that whole deal. A lot of good things going on at James Island. Let's go over here to Long Point Campus. That's where we are right here. And uh, you kind of see there's a Financial Peace University class. Why can I never remember the name of the guy that created that? Who is that? Dave Ramsey. He was right here uh, just recently at the Long Point Campus doing a class that was incredible. Um, Alpha Course, Dive Deeper, Props to Women in a to Three Women a Guy. You read that. In the side, there's stories over there. It, the stories are so cool to read about what God is doing. All right, let's go to the next one. Somerville Campus. Let's see what they do at Somerville. A lot of prayer requests. That's a more spiritual campus than Irmo. A lot of good prayer requests. And... Um, and then, you know what, you can join. You've you got to be a part of one campus. But if you don't have a life, you can join all of them if you want to, just to see what's going on. Uh, I love, listen, I love the Daily Digest that comes out. Don't, don't turn that thing off. I love it. I, I zoom through there, just kind of cruise it. Every once in a while, I'll pop in and say something on one of your deals. I love it, I love it, I love it. I love being connected like this. And on this one, this is cool, Katie, and I don't know who you are, Katie, but uh, you just moved to Somerville, and you said you're having a hard time finding a group and all that. Six people responded, bang, 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 and I read through those. So that's cool. So everybody, let's get on the city. Can you say the city together? The city. All right, good. Oh, you ready to do a Bible study? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let me, let, let me ask you a question, though. On yahoo.com, there are open forums that people can post to. And then anybody can post an answer. Here's what a girl posted not long ago. said this. I'm a new Christian four months ago. I asked Jesus into my heart. I was going downhill fast, and after I asked Jesus in my life, I felt a peace I'd never felt before. But now 
my faith is gone. How can I get it back? I've made so many mistakes in my life. I don't want this mistake to ruin my life. Please, anyone, how can I get my faith back? What would you say to her? What do you post to that? How did it happen? Maybe, I don't know, maybe something, something happened that she wasn't expecting and, and it shook her faith to the roots. Or maybe, I don't know, that's a short amount of time, but maybe she just got kind of focused on other stuff. Maybe she was disappointed in her own stuff, reactions, responses, but she feels like her faith is gone. What do you say to her? Do you know anybody like that? Does that reflect your story, maybe? At some point, maybe recently or maybe a long time ago, you had an encounter with God. Things changed for you. You had hope. You had hope. And then something happened and the hope was gone. How can we maintain our faith during the ups and downs that we all go through of everyday life? How do, you, how do you stay strong through a bad season? Bad day, bad week, bad... Anybody here ever had a bad season? Three of us, okay, good. Well, what I want to do is I want to study Acts 22. We're in a series, a um, little mini-series in Acts called Arrested. And that's because Paul got arrested. In fact, today we're going to read about Paul getting arrested. And Paul has a really, really bad day, okay? Starts out doing the right thing and somebody lies about him. He gets beat up by a mob. He gets arrested. He's, he's rescued, actually, by Roman soldiers who decide, hey, let's torture him. Really bad day, okay? And yet his faith comes through it resilient and strong. How do you, how do you maintain or build a resilient faith that stays steady, even grows through some of the challenges that we all go through every day in life. And that's kind of what I want to look at and, and uh, respond to as we put this chapter in context. Now, usually what I do is I read an extended portion of the chapter that we're studying, but this one's really long, and so I'm just going to tell you the story. This one starts in Acts chapter 21 and goes all the way through Acts 22. Uh, Paul is coming to the end of his missionary journey, his last one. In fact, he's coming to the end of uh, uh, one phase of his ministry. And his third missionary journey, and last week Ernest talked to us about what happened in his last stop. Some of his friends, some people who had a gift of prophecy, gave him a word from God that said, you know what, if you go to Jerusalem, things probably won't go well for you physically. And Paul says, you know what, I know it, but it's okay. I feel like I've got a direction from God. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so he goes to Jerusalem. See, that's where he started. Now he's back to the beginning. And when he gets there, he's greeted by the Jewish believers, and they're really excited and happy for him. And he, and he starts to tell stories. You know, whenever somebody comes home from somewhere, they tell stories. I love it when our kids go on a missionary trip, and they show pictures, tell stories. And he's telling, excuse me, stories. And his stories are about the grace of God to the Gentiles. Now, you've you got to see how extreme this is to the people he's talking to, because they're all Jewish, all of them. They are devout Jews. Just because they know Jesus doesn't mean they left their Jewishness behind. They're still followers of Moses. They 
they, uh, um, you know, they, they keep the law, but they see Jesus as having been the Messiah. And it's, it's just a part of their faith. And so they're followers, not even called Christians so much, yet they're followers of the way. It's called the way. And so when he tells them that Gentiles are uh, uh, coming into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they're really excited about that. And uh, then the next day he goes to see James, who is kind of the head of the church, brother of Jesus. And James was excited also. But he said, you know what? There's some rumors going around about you that we need to address. The rumors are this. You're not just, you know, seeing Gentiles come to the Lord. And and they'd already had this big discussion in Acts 15 about what should be required of Gentiles, that they didn't have to become Jewish in order to be Christian. They'd have to be circumcised. And and James reemphasizes that. And he said, that, that's okay. But he said, there's rumors here that you're telling Jewish people that they, they don't have to abide by Moses anymore. And Paul says, well, I'm not doing that. That's not true. That's not my message at all. And uh, he says, well, let's prove that and let's disprove the rumors. And, he, and James had an idea. He said this. He said, there's four of our guys, Jewish believers, who have taken a Nazarite vow. Now, what's a Nazarite vow? Nazarite vow is just kind of like a, a, a fasting time. You know, at the beginning of the year, we as a church uh, did a Daniel fast together. And uh, I lost quite a bit of weight, and I've gained, like, more back than I lost. So it's just a wonderful thing. But anyway, um, so it was a fasting time. You set aside 30 days, usually, could be more, could be less. And you fasted during a Nazarite vow. You fasted anything that had to do with grapes, grapes, raisins, grape juice, wine, light beer, all that kind of stuff. You fasted for a period of time, okay, for 30 days, maybe, or whatever you said. And then at the end of the fast, you would come to the temple and you'd pay, you'd give an offering for the fast. And it was subscribed in the Old Testament exactly what it was. And uh, so what James said is he said, why don't you do this? Why don't you go to the temple with these four guys, Nazarite vow, and you pay their temple tax. You pay for their deal. And everybody will see, hey, he's, he's with the program. Okay? He's not dissing the whole Jewish thing. He's with the program. So he says, okay, I'll do that. That's, that doesn't compromise what I preach to Gentiles. And so he goes to the temple to do the right thing. Now, while he's at the temple, there are a group of people that see him there. They're rabble-rousers that have followed him all the way along. You know, as, as we've done this study through Acts, we've seen he's been beaten up several times, thrown in jail, all this kind of stuff, because of a group of uh, extreme uh, zealots in the Jewish faith who, uh, you know, say that he's doing the wrong thing. And so they saw him there, and they saw him earlier with a Gentile friend, which was true, but then they made up a story, and here's what their story said. They said, there's Paul. He took a Gentile into the temple. Now, that means nothing to us. What is it like? That would be like if you're a USC fan, Gamecock fan, you know, the little cocky, the little, uh, you know, mascot, whatever. I, I say little. I've got a little, little one that I worship in my office. But, uh, you know, they come in all sizes. But uh, let's say that you took cocky into the Clemson locker room. I mean, that's a desecration. You'd have to cleanse the thing. You'd have to do all of this. Well, that's exactly what they're talking about. Because Gentiles were not allowed in the temple and desecrated the temple. And so they're making a big deal. They are furious. In fact, they're so furious that they grab Paul, take him out, and they start beating him. They're going to kill him. They are just going to kill him. Well, at about that time, uh, some Roman centurions, or some Roman guards, 
see what's going on. Their job is to keep the peace in the city. And so they go in and they start throwing people aside. They grab Paul and rescue him out of this situation. And, uh, and, and, and they're going to arrest him to find out what it is that he's doing. They think he's a, an Egyptian terrorist that uh, is doing bad stuff. And any and he isn't. But they're going to arrest him and, and find out what's going on. So they carry him away, rescue him from the mob. Well, they get kind of up this hill and the mob's down here and they're just going nuts. And Paul says, would you mind if I said something to them? And the Roman guard says, you're crazy. Let's just get out of Dodge here. They want to kill you. He said, no, if you don't mind, I'd like to say something. And so the, uh, the guard says, okay. And so Paul turns and he begins to speak to the crowd. They all got quiet. He speaks to them in Aramaic, their native tongue. And he begins to tell his story. That's the best thing you can do. If you're sharing Jesus, just tell your story. He tells his story. And the first thing he does is he establishes his street creds for being Jewish. He said, you know what? I was born in a Jewish home. I had the finest Jewish education. In fact, I was a, a Pharisee, a zealous, 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 zealous guy. In fact, when this, the way, which is what they called Christianity at the time, when the way began to start, my job was to persecute, and I loved my job. I persecuted, I killed Christians. In fact, I was there the day that Stephen was stoned. Do you remember that? I was the one, they laid their their uh, their coats down to me while they, they did the job. I was a zealot. He said, one day after that, I was on my way to Damascus and something happened. I had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with Jesus. He said, you're going to have a hard time believing this, but, but there were people there that saw it. And I was blinded by a light. Uh, I fell off of the donkey that I was riding and I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to me, the same Jesus that we crucified. And all I could say was, what do I do now? Where do I go? And he said, and Jesus revealed to me that there was going to be somebody in the city that would help me. And so I went to a man named Ananias. And there's a murmur in the crowd because they know who Ananias is. Ananias is a pretty popular dude. And he's a very, very devout Jew. But he's a follower of Jesus. And he said, Ananias prayed for me and he also spoke to me and he said, you've encountered Jesus. You need to follow him. And so shortly after that, he said, I had a vision. And the vision told me that the Christians in Jerusalem would never trust me because of what I did to Stephen. And so I needed to get out of Jerusalem. And actually, I'm going to read the scripture there. He said, but the Lord said to me, leave Jerusalem, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, let let me stop here. Have you ever said something that you wish you hadn't said right after you said it? How have you did that today on the way in the car, on the way here? Okay. And the word is bigger than the words. You understand what I'm saying? They're buttons, hot buttons. You know, you learn to push them or not push them or whatever. And this is what happened right here. Let's look at the next verse. The crowd listened until Paul came to that word. What word? The Gentile word. crowd listened until then. And then they with one voice shouted, Away with such a fellow. Kill him. He hasn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. Man, it's just crazy. Going nuts. The Roman guard says, Let's get out of here. This is not a good idea. Look at this. And so the Roman c- commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. Hey, let's get you out of there where they're going to kill you and let's torture you a little bit. How's that? It's a bad day. 
He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. As they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the other officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? They had no idea he was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, you could not whip them like that. So actually he's saving this guy from getting in trouble. He says, do you realize you can't do that? And so the guy says, um, officer went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And the answer was yes, and that's the end of the chapter. We'll deal with the next chapter next week. He took a beating for his faith. You know what? There are people all over the world today that take beatings for their faith. Did you know that? In China, there's a 72-year-old house church leader who was arrested just not very long ago, a few years ago, simply for the fact that he allowed his granddaughter to go to a Sunday school teacher training course. That's it. That's it. They arrested him, put him in for hard time. While he was in prison, he led 50 prisoners to faith in Jesus. This is just recently. And for that crime, they beat him. They broke both of his legs to where he cannot walk anymore. Took a beating for his faith. Recently in Orissa, India, which is not very far from where Jeff and I uh, would go to, to train leaders in India, um, Radical Hindus uh, decided that they would uh, attack Christians and force them to convert to Hinduism. And so they would go house to house with guns, bring families out and say, you are to reject Christianity and to embrace Hinduism. And they burned down 95 churches, over 700 houses, and they killed several Christians. In fact, 10 years ago, Australian missionary... Um, and his two sons, I think they were 10 and 11 years old, uh, were preaching in a church and they were staying in their car uh, overnight and radical Hindus uh, burned them alive in their car for their faith. This is now. This is now stuff. Just a few weeks ago, Easter weekend in Pakistan, uh, radical Muslims uh, uh, shot Christians uh, on Good Friday, uh, ran them out of their, their, their church. There are Christians all over the world who take a beating for their faith. Now, you and I probably never be arrested for our faith. You and I probably never take a beating for our faith. But there are things that happen to us that cause us to test our faith. And maybe that's what that girl on Yahoo, maybe that's why she said, I lost my faith. Things like sickness can test your faith. When you have and you were in a, um, in, a, in a loved one, a prolonged illness, and you pray for healing and nothing happens, and you go, God, you know, I mean, what? this isn't right, this isn't fair. You get angry, you doubt God's goodness, it can test your faith. Sometimes you, it can be a failing business during hard economic times. It can test your faith. Sometimes you question, that, does God even care? Or, you know, you, you hear let me use a scripture like uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that says, God... God knows the plans. I know the plans that I have for you. God plans to prosper you and to give you hope and a future. And you go, yeah, right. What's up with my situation? And, and, and you question God and you struggle with your faith. Are God's plans really, really good? Or maybe it's sin. You struggle with sin in yourself and it can test your faith. And you can go, where's the change? I mean, I'm still struggling with some of the same stuff I used to struggle with. 
And sometimes you can feel so ashamed or you can attribute to God your feelings like, you know, if I was God, I'd, you know, I'd be really ashamed of me. And it distances you from God and it can threaten your faith. Maybe it's ridicule from family or friends. You know, it can be anything. How do you cultivate a faith that can take a beating? That's what I want to look at because that's what was happening to Paul. And his faith was resilient. His faith was strong. How can I have that? Let me give you three things that I see. Number one, first thing, make sure you have encountered Jesus. Make sure you have encountered Jesus. That's the beginning point. Paul tells his story. He says, there was a point I was going this way. And I encountered Jesus in Acts 22.10. He says, I said, what shall I do, Lord? Do, do you remember a time when you surrendered your will to Jesus and you said, okay, I give up. What, what do I do now, Lord? Is that part of your story? See, Paul can point to his over and over. You're going to hear it in the next couple of weeks. He points to that. This is my story. This is the focal point of my story. Do you have that in your story? Is it a focal point of your story? When does it happen? It usually happens during a point of crisis when the world, whatever it is, kind of overwhelms us and circumstances get beyond us and we are driven to our knees, literally. That's why the kindest thing you can pray for a friend who's not encountered Jesus, maybe a loved one who has not encountered Jesus, what do you pray? You pray God allow them to be broken by circumstances. Matthew twenty one forty four, not on your outline sheet, it says, He who falls on this stone, which is Jesus, will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. So that it's good to be broken because that, that's the beginning point of the story of encountering Jesus. Remember a few years ago, I just finished preaching and this girl came up to me in her 20s, late 20s, And she said, a couple of weeks ago in church, I committed my life to Christ. I said, great, that's awesome. She said, "Um, is there a Bible that I can read that I could maybe understand? You know, I've got one that my mom gave me, and all of these and those I don't really understand. So I recommended one. And uh, in the midst of the conversation, she mentioned that she had a fiancé, and it seemed obvious to me that she's living with her fiancé. And So I asked her, I I said, uh, does your fiancé share your newfound faith? And she said, oh, no, he's an agnostic. Now, I should have left that alone. (laughs) But I didn't. And I just said, you know, I'm not sure I'd get married to somebody who didn't share your faith. Goodbye, have a nice day. And so she left. That was it. I knew that's going to rock her world. That's my job sometimes, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I love the second part of my job. And so sure enough, on about Tuesday of that week, we got a phone call in the office from an extremely angry agnostic. And, uh, and he wanted a meeting with me. And uh, so I told the girls in the office, I said, get him one. And it had to be after work hours because he worked during the daytime and all this. My wife was real concerned about it. She said, what if this is like an agnostic who has guns, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, so, so I... I said, don't worry about it. And so what we did is we just posted a very big pastor outside my office. And I said, if you hear anything, come on in. We'll minister together. You know? And uh, <laughs> so this guy comes in. He's angry. He slams his fist down on my desk. He says, what right do you have 
and messing in my personal life. You believe in whatever you want to believe in. I'll believe in whatever I want to believe in. He said, you got 30 minutes to convince me why Jesus Christ is who he said he was. I went, yippee, let's go, baby. That's what I do for a living. You know? <clears throat> and uh, so, so we sat and we met for two hours. And I'd like to tell you that he committed his life to Christ, but he didn't. And uh, which is okay. I mean, I'm not into hard sell. You know, I mean, this is like a, this is like forever kind of a deal. So make sure you got it right. And uh, so I, I said, here's what I want to do. I said, uh, would you mind? Because we'd made friends during that time. Uh, I love, to, I, I'm, there's, I have no problem with any question. I don't think God has a problem with questions. So I've never had problems with questions. And I said, hey, would you mind? Let's meet every week for about an hour. And, uh, and then it, however long it takes, and at some point you'll figure out that, hey, either you're right or I'm right, and either way is fine with me, but at least know that you've got the facts. He said, yeah, that's fair enough. So we began to meet, and we met for, and we became friends, we met for weeks, and he started coming to church. He's not a believer, but he started coming to church. He was sitting on the front row because that's where his wife sat and friends and what have you. And so one Sunday uh, at the end of the service, I said, everybody bow your head. If you want to receive Jesus, follow him. I want you to look up at me right now. I'm scanning in the audience and all of a sudden I see him and he looks up at me. He's right here. And when he looks up at me, there's something incredible happened. Doesn't happen all the time, but something incredible happened with me. I think it had to do with the relationship and all the years of not knowing and all this. He started to cry and he was just a pile. He just wept and wept and wept. and It was incredible. That was great. Where I made my mistake was by bringing him up on the platform about six weeks later or four weeks later to share his story. And so I asked him, I said, what happened to you on that Sunday morning? And he said, well, God knocked me on my... And then he used a word in the microphone for what we sit on that we don't normally use in church. It was like, remember Paul's story? God knocked him off of his donkey. Well, he knocked him onto his donkey, okay? And uh, <laughs> it happens, you know, it happens. But it changed everything for him. It's a part of his story, part of his story. I have another friend going through a really, really hard time. And, uh, and so I'm talking him through it a little bit. And I asked him at one point, I said, you know, tell me how you're feeling. What, what, you know, what's going on? He said, can, can I tell you, this may sound strange, but he said, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, well, how's that? Because he'd been coming to church for quite a while. And he said, because in the midst of this, I discovered... Jesus and really came into relationship with him. And I would have gone to my grave thinking I had an encounter with God and I never really did. So well, that's served you well. Times are tough, but that's going to serve you well. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Has there been a point where you can say, you know what, I was going this way, I encountered God, my will clashed with his and I tapped out. I said, that's enough. What does it take to make you tap out? Have you ever done that? Is it a part of your story? I know how the process goes. The process generally is that something happens. It's not good. There's usually confusion, blindness, maybe in a sense like Paul, and then reality sets in. I'm not infallible. I cannot control my circumstances. And in the midst of that, God reveals himself, maybe through a friend, through a message, through Bible, through a church like this. And in the middle of it, you experience God's love and there's an emotional response. More than just a mental ascent, there's something inside that goes, this is right. And you commit your way 
to Jesus. Well, that's the beginning point. You've got to do that. If you haven't done that, your faith will never. You don't have faith. You have some kind of a mirage, and it will fade during the hard times. Second thing you do is this. If you're going to, if you're going to, if, you're gonna, if your faith is going to stay strong to, through difficult circumstances, you better encounter Jesus. Second thing is, is you live your life in the rhythms of Jesus. You live your life in the rhythms of Jesus. See, I've seen this over and over. I'm passionate about this. I've seen people who have encountered God, encountered Jesus, surrendered their life, but they, they, nothing changed. They didn't change the rhythms. See, if you... If you study Jesus, you can see that there were certain rhythms that sustained him in life. So, you can be a good, well-meaning believer, but if you don't observe a Sabbath as part of your rhythm, if you don't take one day every week, 24 hours, unplug, this isn't work, unplug, 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 you know what? Here's what I can say about you. Um, there are going to come rogue winds because they come for all of us and, and your faith may not sustain it and sustain you because you're violating the rhythms of Jesus. Or you may be a well-meaning, good believer and if you never take time for prayer and study, then here's, here's what I know about you. You'll never get to know God. You'll never learn to hear His voice. And so... Your faith may not sustain you through a beating. You may be a well-meaning, good believer. If you don't practice fasting and frugality, then your habits of consumption will drain your health and your bank account. And when rogue winds come, you, you may not make it. You may be a good, well-meaning believer. If you don't regularly confess your sin to people committed to your success, here's what's going to happen to you. Guilt and deception will blind you and you will wear yourself out trying to hide and cover. Because we all sin. Let me check that out. How many of you sin? Okay, this section right here is pretty holy. It's incredible. (laughs) So what do you do with your sin? Do you confess it or do you hide it? If you don't practice confession, then your faith will take a beating and it may not sustain you. Um, you can be a good, well-meaning believer and if you don't learn to give consistently and sacrificially, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to spend find yourself spending more and more time and energy hoarding what you have because you have not learned generosity. You don't understand a generous God. And when that's taken away, which it probably will be at some point in your life, then you'll find that your faith probably can't sustain a beating. If you, you can be a good, well-meaning believer, and if you don't have a regular practice of serving and submission, then you'll find yourself growing more and more selfish and prideful, and your faith may very well not sustain a, a beating. If you're a good, well-meaning believer, and you don't pra- prioritizing gathering together weekly for worship and celebration... See, that's not a priority for you. Well, we'll go when we can or whatever. Can I tell you this? Here's what's going to happen to you. You will grow more and more isolated. And you will be more and more vulnerable to an attack of the enemy, which will come. And your faith may not sustain you during the difficult times. 
See, successful believers, heroes of the faith, down through the years, from the time of Jesus, have practiced not only an encounter with Jesus, but rhythms of Jesus. Things like fasting and Sabbaths and Bible study and solitude and worship and celebration. These are things that sustain us. They're called spiritual disciplines, and they sustain us in our walk with God. So let me just ask you this. Is there one of those that I mentioned that you're having a challenge with? That's not a priority for you? You drink all of them. Well, let's just take one. Okay, just one. You've got a lifetime to figure it out. Just take one and see if we can. I, I'll tell you what mine is. This year it's Sabbath. It's Sabbath. I quit calling my day off just a day off. It's a Sabbath. I'm trying to honor God with it. And I feel more refreshed than I've ever felt in my life in the midst of challenging ministry. So just take one. One, what, what, what can you do? All right, let, let, one, one more thing. If you're going to have a resilient faith, you've got to encounter Jesus, live in the rhythms of Jesus. Let me give you the third one. See your circumstances in the light of Jesus. See your circumstances in the light of Jesus. Would you agree that Paul would have been justified to complain about his bad day? <laughs> Here, I try to do the right thing. I go to the temple. I get beat up. I get accused wrongly. And then I'm arrested, rescued, and tortured. Kind of a bad day. So what are your options when you have a bad day? There's several things you can do. You can panic. How have you ever panicked in a bad situation? How have you made a really good decision in the midst of panic? Just real quickly. Yeah. It doesn't happen. That's a trick question. I've made some of my worst decisions in the midst of panic when I think the sky is falling. Okay? That's an option, though. You can lose your cool, get mad at everybody around. Some people internalize it. Other people externalize it. They just, man, they lash out at everybody. You can whine. You can give up. You can pretend it's not happening and self-medicate. Do all those things, but won't sustain your faith. Let's see what Paul did. Two things. I love this. Number one, he accepted that this situation was of God. Listen, let that sink in. Somebody lied about him. He took a beating. He's arrested. They want to torture him. He accepted, I'm right in the center of God's will. This is right where God wants me. Great verse, Psalm 37, 23. Read it out loud together. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. I love that verse. The steps of the godly, that's us, are directed by God. What a promise. He delights in the details of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Does those steps include the ones that step in doo-doo? <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. That's the steps. There are times God will lead your steps into very difficult situations. There are times that you make choices to be in very difficult situations. Is God there? Yes, He is. He's in the midst of it. He's in the midst of it. And one of the ways, one of the, one of the things that we need to do in the midst of difficult circumstances, we just can't thank God just for the victories. We've got to understand, God led me here. Now, why did God lead Paul there? One of probably two reasons, I think. There may be more. This is just my little peanut brain thinking about it. Uh, number one, Paul had some, God had something He wanted to work out in Paul. Okay? Or number two, Paul's just a bit player in a much bigger story. And God's got something he wants to work out, and that's where Paul needs to be at that particular time. Hard, tough, yeah, but true. Okay? And so you, you accept 
that God, is, God, God has got you there. And if that's the truth, Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who are called according to His purposes, which means that God is at work on a solution even before you know there's a problem. So just surrender to God. Say, okay, God, here I am. Tough situation. I'm in the center of your will. Second thing you do is you create an opportunity in the midst of the bad day. That's what Paul did. Once you accept that God, is, your bad day is of God, you create an opportunity. Paul says, yeah, <laughs> okay, boom, 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 they're beating him up. Roman soldiers, let's go torture you. Paul's walking up the hill. He says, could I have a word? There's a crowd here. I might as well preach. Let's take an offering. You know, it's just kind of, let's, let's make some lemonade out of this lemon. How do you do that? One of the toughest situations that I have had here. Young mother with her husband comes in to see me. She's in her 30s. Two or three kids. Terminal cancer. They just found out terminal cancer oh by the way all of you have a terminal disease the last I checked at least in Mount Pleasant here the uh, mortality rate hovers right around 100% we're all going to die some people just know when they gave her a date way too soon we cried we prayed we prayed for healing we prayed for healing we prayed for healing and I believe that she was healed that she is whole now before the Lord But somewhere along the line, she came to a point of saying, okay, God is in this somewhere. Let's make something good out of it. I remember the day that she brought in to us two sheets of paper, one for her husband, one for me. She said, here's my funeral service, and here's what you're doing, and here's what you're doing. She said, you know what? I got a lot of friends who love me who don't know Jesus, and that's more important than anything else. I have a lot of family who love me and don't know Jesus. That's more important than anything else. They're all going to be there. Here's what you're going to say, and here's what you're going to say. Get it right. That funeral service was incredible. There was obviously sadness to it. But you know what? I've never been a part of one that brought more glory and honor to God. It reminded me of this truth, 1 Peter 5.10, that says this suffering won't last forever. Is that good news? If you're having a bad day, if you're not having a bad day, can I give you a clue? You're going to have one. You know, we go from one bad day to another bad day with nice days in between. That's life, okay? Your bad day, I don't care what it is, will not last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. Sometimes that happens in this life and sometimes it happens in the next life, but it is true. So what are you panicking about? What are you angry about? What are you whining about? What are you ready to give up on? What are you burying your head and self-medicating over? Maybe it's time to accept that not only is this not a surprise to God, but He may have actually guided your steps here, and maybe it's time to look for an opportunity. Boy, did she see an opportunity. Paul found a great opportunity in the midst of a bad day. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you? Are you living in the rhythms of Jesus? And are you seeing Jesus in the middle of your difficult circumstances? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your kingdom, for your 
for your awesome plan for each one of our lives. There's so much that we don't understand and we probably never will. But we can trust you with the details. God, I pray that you would bring us to a moment here where we would focus in on what matters and that this would be a life-changing moment, a few moments for a lot of people. And so we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.